Today's episode of What's Tech is brought to you by Videoblocks. Videoblocks is a subscription-based stock media company that gives you unlimited access to premium stock footage everyone can afford. Premium content at a great value, and everything is 100% royalty-free. Get your subscription today for only $99 at videoblocks.com slash x slash wt. That's www.videoblocks dot com slash x slash wt. Check it out. I went to see Drake at the Air Canada Center, which is this you know, big sports arena in Toronto. So it was a hometown show that he was playing on his birthday. And then at the stroke of midnight, uh, Drake's birthday was going to turn into my birthday. So I'll admit that I had some hopes of a Freaky Friday type situation where Drake and I would maybe like switch bodies and brains for 24 hours and I would live his fantastic lifestyle and he would have to go to class and take the night bus back to my university town. Uh, unfortunately, I, I'll spoil the story and say that that didn't happen. Uh, there's a stretch of in all of those shows where he would take a song called 305 to my city and loop the beat for 15 or 20 minutes on end. And he would go up in a giant catwalk that would hang suspended above the, um, the crowds. And he'd just go around in a circle slowly and point at people in the crowd who had signs or shirts and just kind of call them out like, hey, girl in the pink shirt, I see you. And, and he'd do this for a really long time. Like I said, 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, I was wearing Drake's face on a shirt and standing in the upper deck and, and screaming and hoping that we would lock eyes and have that uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, Lindsay Lohan transfer moment. Uh, but nothing came of it. Hello and welcome to What's Tech, a podcast on TheVerge.com. I am your humble host, Christopher Thomas Plant. Today, I am joined by my friend, my colleague, entertainment reporter, Jamison Cox. How are you doing? I'm great, Chris. Thanks for having me back. I'm so happy to have you <laughs> on this this joyous of days, this uh, window of music dumpage, I think is the technical term, where all of the great artists come and they release their their artistic bowels mm-hmm. onto the masses. How many big launches have we had, would you say, in the last month, uh, purges? That's a good question. I think, I mean, if you count sad surprise deaths, I think we're coming up on half a dozen. I do like to think of it as Drake, Beyonce, and Tom York getting together in a room uh, and deciding to ruin specifically my life. Um, for and for that, I thank them. Uh, You're not including to, James Blake in there. He's not big enough for you. Uh, well, I didn't write about that one, okay. so I kind of at first when I saw that the the James Blake album was dropping, I felt a, a wave of horror wash over me. <laughs> <laughs> Think, oh my god, one more thing I have to worry about. And then I realized that it had uh, already been claimed. So I w- felt a similarly. Uh, creeping wave of uh, relief but yeah it's been crazy the last couple weeks i'm i'm ready for a nap an extended nap well before we do that let's (laughs) we're going to talk about drake specifically today Mm -hmm. for for people who have not turned on their browser because that's how you use a browser you turn it on right um who is drake so drake is 
a rapper, a singer, an occasional uh, actor, and uh, importantly for our purposes, a meme smith uh, from Canada. He just released a new album. It's very long. It's called Views. Uh, it's also very popular. I'm sure some of the singles from it are are pretty much inescapable if you listen to the radio, uh, particularly One Dance uh, is at the top of the Billboard charts right now. And at this point, I don't think it's a stretch to say that the Drake is one of the most popular musicians in the world, which is pretty crazy. Okay. I, I imagine all successful people as superheroes slash supervillains, maybe both at the same time, because uh, that's the only way I can uh, wrap my head around their success. <laughs> what is the... Uh, superhero, supervillain origin story of this creature known as Drake? Well, I think Drake's origin story is uh, comparable to that, you know, of most hip-hop legends. Uh, You know, like many of them, he uh, got his start by starring on a Canadian TV show uh, about teenagers called Degrassi. Sure. Uh, You know, very uh, stereotypical uh, origin story. So, yeah, Drake, uh, Drake started out acting on this show Degrassi when he was a teenager in Canada, living in Toronto. And pretty much from the start, uh, it was clear that he had, um, you know, larger aspirations. He had something bigger in mind. Uh, his dad was from Memphis. His mom is from Toronto. And he grew up mostly in Toronto, but but spent time in both cities. And he started putting out mixtapes uh, in the mid-2000s, like around 2006. And those, you know, made a tiny splash, but he was still very much a figure on the margins. A couple years later, around 2008, he hooked up with Lil Wayne, who brought him to Houston. And then Drake sort of had a, a formative stretch there where he was making music there, listening to music there, trying to make a name for himself. And and at the time, Houston's uh, hip-hop scene was really booming, so that was a, a good place for him. In 2009, he released a mixtape uh, called So Far Gone, and that was really the first uh, release that introduced him to uh, a wider audience. And he signed a major label deal later that year, and uh, he'd released his debut studio album, which was called Thank Me Later, in 2010. And by that point, he was pretty much a mainstream concern. It was likely that if you, you know, if you were listening to music on a regular basis, you would probably know who Drake was. So, <laughs> okay, let's talk about people who are not listening to music on a regular basis. <laughs> when did he go from that, like that extra step from, oh, this person's mainstream popular to like, oh, I am a casual person and I know that Drake is not like a lizard creature in D&D. Right. Uh, This is also not a casual person, essentially, who I just described. Yeah, anyone who can link Drake and D&D lizard people probably has a very specific set of interests. Sure, uh, sure, not me. Yeah, so so for I would say the time that Drake became a a larger cultural concern uh, was with the release of Take Care. So Take Care came out in 2011, and it really marked the moment when Drake shifted from you know, a, a musician kind of hopping around the Hot 100 and had a couple big singles uh, to someone who was like a character and a real presence in people's lives. Uh, it had it was really critically acclaimed. It sold a ton of copies. It spun off a couple singles that are, you know, still around today that are still familiar today. And more importantly, it really did a lot to contribute to this character of Drake that exists in people's minds. People are, I, I, I know, I know how people are. And I understand, and this is, this is a fair criticism. They're listening to this show 
called What's Tech? And they're saying, Chris, you did it again. This is not tech. The, mm-hmm. you, you have broken the cardinal rule. But we're going to get into how weirdly I think this is tech-related. I, I want you to talk about, to, to start off, to kind of set the foundation, uh, the ways Drake is better at technology and social media than uh, a lot of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I write about music for the site, for The Verge, on a regular basis. And there's an interesting thing that happens. When I write about Drake, people get mad that I'm writing about Drake. They say I write about Drake too much. And Kanye West, of course. And then if I don't write about Drake, if I write about a different piece of music, they take the opportunity to make a joke like, finally, something that's not about Drake. So I'm, I'm glad that we're taking this time to explain Drake's omnipresence on our website and, and why he's relevant to people who who may not care about his music as much. So let's start here. Why is Drake better with social media or better at technology than his contemporaries? Uh, And I think it boils down to two specific things. Uh, The first is that he understands himself and his role in the culture, whether that's online or offline or both. Uh, He understands himself really, really well. And the other thing is that he understands how important speed is on the internet. He understands how quickly everything moves. And there's a moment in his career that uh, encapsulates this really, really well, even if you don't know much about him. And that was the beef he had with Meek Mill, who is another rapper, if you're not familiar, this beef he had with Meek Mill last summer. So in short, Drake was accused of using ghostwriters on many of his uh, popular tracks by Meek Mill after he failed to uh, sufficiently promote Meek Mill's album on Twitter. That was kind of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand moment for uh, the beef. And it started and ended in the span of a, of a few weeks last summer. Uh, Drake never really refuted uh, the accusations regarding the ghostwriting. He would kind of obliquely address them a couple months later, but he never came out and said, you know, no, I don't use ghostwriters. What he did do is understand that he needed to mount a response immediately. So he released a, a diss track. Uh, on his OVO Sound Radio show uh, called Charged Up alongside a couple other songs. And Charged Up, as far as, you know, diss tracks go, is is very weird. It's very wobbly and isolated. And it, you know, has a bunch of, you know, it has a bunch of jabs at Meek Mill that you wouldn't expect. They're unconventional. And that, you know, really sums up Drake from a musical perspective. Uh, what happened next is that everyone expected that Meek would you know, offer up some sort of uh, diss track of his own, like a rebuttal, you know, that contained the accusations that he had levied at Drake and maybe some, you know, personal jabs and whatever, pretty standard stuff. But that didn't happen. He he didn't really release anything. So uh, Drake saw this and kind of took the opportunity to hammer him with another track, which is called Back to Back. And, you know, was a lot funnier and more intense and more, you know, traditional, I guess you could say, than the first one. And then... Uh, as a sort of finishing blow, Drake throws this big party in Toronto every summer, a music festival called OVO Fest, and he always does a headlining set. So he uh, took the stage at OVO Fest for this headlining set, and he put up a giant screen and a projector, basically, and just buried Meek under uh, an avalanche of memes, like all of these like crappy macros, like the grainy pictures you see on like fourth rate Instagrams of 
people like of like Drake laughing at Meek or, you know, just jokes involving Drake's, you know, like masculinity or lack of an intensity or, you know, lack of writing skill or whatever. And the fact that he had managed to, to take down Meek anyway. And then videos came out from OVO Fest of him and Kanye and Will Smith, like laughing at Meek Mill basically on someone's phone. And uh, by that point he had so thoroughly overwhelmed the root of the conflict in the first place that everyone pretty much just forgot about it. And that's where we are now. So this this is interesting to me because I think the Internet is built on authenticity, specifically social media, Mm -hmm. like this idea of authenticity. And I I think the reason that Drake came back so hard is that's really what the the slight was. Right. Like you're not authentic. You're not actually the person writing it. Right. So he came back and he did this thing and you would think Meek would have the advantage on the authenticity gamut. But then you would also think, like, he throws this giant festival. He parades his own memes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these are all things that are, like, taboo, essentially. Like, basically, it, with the internet, the second you recognize that you're part of the meme thing, mm-hmm. it suddenly becomes uncool. And yet, that's not the case. Like, fast forward to today, people are still making memes about Drake, and he's still generally liked. How, what makes him essentially this like meme whisperer or meme master <laughs> and, and is is he just a meme himself let's talk about what the character of drake is in the public imagination you know he's this uh, emotional guy he's uh, more emotional than your stereotypical rapper uh, he's kind of goofy he can't really figure relationships out he has his trouble with women uh, he gets really giddy around athletes that's a weirdly prominent part of his persona. Uh, and he has this, you know, essential dorky quality a- about him that, that keeps him from ever seeming truly um, intimidating or aggressive. And, you know, parts of that play into assumptions we make about race and class and, and masculinity and all of that. But, you know, at, from a bird's eye view, that's what Drake's character is. And it turns out that that character lends itself really well to, um, to the creation of memes. And what Drake does is he puts himself in situations where uh, people can take those characteristics and play off them in really, you know, funny over the top ways. And he uh, does it without making it seem too, uh, too contrived or too calculated. So uh, a good example is the cover of views, his new album, you know, it's him sitting on top of the CN tower in this huge puffy coat and looking like someone just stole his dog or something, you know, it's this indelible, really funny image. And, you know, I, th- I think when Drake was designing the cover, he probably thought, you know, people are going to take me on top of the CN Tower and they're going to put me in all kinds of situations. They're going to take my sad sitting body and and copy and paste it into you know, pretty much anything you can imagine. And sure enough, that's what happened. But, you know, people didn't look at the cover and think, oh, he's just asking for it, so we're not going to give it to him. You know, they did They did what he wanted. Yeah, that. I feel like we're getting to the point where people and brands are smart enough to get away with this. Right. Like, like I think, I think that was the, that was the turning point for me where it became too calculated. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think... I, I I thought with Hotline Bling that the music video, like, you know, dressed nice in, in a box of, you know, colorful backgrounds, doing goofy moves, 
I I personally believe, and I think he's smart enough to have done this, that that is not a whole lot different than when Shia LaBeouf released video of him in front of a green screen mm-hmm. and was like, have at it. I, I think that was like, basically, he was still on the right side of not being too obvious with it. But I, I do believe that when they made that video, like, that was an understood thing. I am giving people essentially me doing goofy things with an undistorted background that can be used in a number of ways. But mm-hmm. may- maybe not. I think without question, the views cover of him doing a sad Keanu impression was <laughs> literal. I, 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 I believe that he saw the sad Keanu thing and was like, I can work with this, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Like, there's just no way. And that is that's what's interesting to me right now is I think for maybe the first time in the history of, you know, memes, essentially, brands and artists have gotten to the point where they can trick the internet, like, mm-hmm. into playing along, uh, which is, I'm curious how long it'll last, because the internet usually prides itself on not being so gullible and easily manipulable. But this just feels like, I mean, it feels like marketing to me. Like, he knew the best way to get your info out is to have er- everybody like normal people tweeting it and sharing it and making the marketing for you and he gave them a template Mm -hmm. essentially yeah no i think you're totally right and i think that philosophy extends to drake's music too like i mean we've largely talked about the idea of drake as like uh, you know drake's public image or or drake's visual representation on the internet but if you look at the way that drake actually writes and performs music you know everything is about giving people these bite-sized bits that they can latch onto, like, you know, the perfect bar that you can tweet or like the ridiculous punchline that you can't believe he even attempted, but that he got away with. And it's, it works in exactly the same way. It's, it's fodder for, it's something that people can react to and, and incorporate into their own lives if they, if they feel it applies. And yeah, it's interesting. You know, you'd think that there would be a tipping point approaching with, you know, this whole idea of self-awareness or or being in on the joke. Like you said, people don't like to be fooled. So it does seem like there's a a moment approaching in the future where people are going to say, all right, Drake, you know, we've, we've, (laughs) we've had enough of this. You're not, you're not going to get us to, you know, basically do your dirty work anymore. And the interesting thing about, you know, Drake's timing is that, like we said earlier, you know, he came, to prominence as a musical figure in around 2009, 2010. And that's a time when, uh, when Facebook is pretty well entrenched. Twitter is really starting to take off among people who aren't in the media. And you have all these platforms emerging that are really good bases for the transmission of memes. So Drake, as you know, like a meme-ready character, has been part of our collective awareness ever since it's even been possible to have someone occupy that role. So it's kind of remarkable that people haven't uh, gotten sick of him on, you know, on a massive scale yet. Yeah. To wrap this up, let's let's pull way, way back uh, beyond Drake. Is is this the tool essentially of uh, the future? I mean, one of many tools, obviously, but our are memes going to become a marketing tool in the same sense that, you know, a billboard or a radio ad Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, a sponsored tweet are a marketing tool? Right. Well, I think, 
I think the difference between all of those things you just mentioned and memes is that, you know, all of those things are contingent on money. Like you can just pay for those things. You can pay for a tweet to be promoted. You can pay to have a billboard on the freeway. You can pay for a radio ad. And you can't really, you can't pay for, for memes. They have, you think? Yeah. I'm, I'm suspicious of that. I mean, I think you have to have a base of popularity. Otherwise, nobody cares to begin with. Right. But like, I think the Views album cover is an example of like, I have to imagine there's somebody out there who, who, who you can't guarantee success. We can't guarantee success with a billboard either. Right. But I think, like you said, like the success of the Views cover, like has more to do with, with personality and just Drake's omnipresence as a cultural figure than it does, um, you know, a, a marketing budget. Like it's, if you put a Mountain Dew on the top of the CN tower, people aren't going to do anything. Exactly. And, or if you put, you know, an artist who isn't as prominent or isn't as successful. And I think if you look at the last, you know, year or two years of, of album releases, when someone reaches a certain uh, level of popularity, you know, memes are just going to emerge uh, no matter what. Even if it, they're not releasing something with the same sort of canniness as, as Drake. Like uh, when Beyonce released Lemonade a couple weeks ago, if you were on Twitter the night that uh, the, the special was premiered on HBO, you know, all you were seeing was pictures of Jay-Z looking extremely flustered uh, because of the album contents. Uh, when Kanye West released The Life of Pablo in February, you know, one of the emergent uh, memes, I guess, from the album was from Father Stretch My Hands Part 1. You have the Metro boom and drop. You know, if young Metro don't trust you, I'm going to shoot you. And you'd see, like, you know, Vines and Instagram videos of various figures exploding with joy when that drop hits. Like, you know, I don't think Kanye recorded Father Stretch My Hands Part 1 thinking, I'm going to make this, like, this is going to be the the basis for a great meme. And that's, prob- <laughs> and that's probably the difference between, between, between Kanye, Kanye and, Drake. and Drake, is that I don't think Kanye actually thought that, but you can definitely imagine Drake, like, recording something and taking his heads off in the booth and thinking like that's gonna make <laughs> we did it. that's gonna make a great meme, uh, but <laughs> I I just imagine like him, him like it's like a Back to the Future scenario where somebody's like on the internet looking at dancing baby and <laughs> they call like young Drake and they're like Drake you gotta get a hold of this and then they're like oh shit like I just disconnected my fifty six k modem <laughs> I need to hang up the phone <laughs> yeah it's I don't know it's a I think the thing that we've hit on consistently in this conversation is like how this is a tightrope people have to walk, you know, that there's, there's a certain point at which, you know, I, and maybe I think you believe this less than I believe this. I still believe that there's a certain point at which like the memes just don't work, you know, like you can, where your attempts to cultivate something like this all fall flat. Oh, I mean, I, I would be right there with you. I don't think the views thing works. Like, I mean, I think it worked, like, as in it was successful. But I think is like, a... If you think of memes as art, I think it's, like... It might as well be a Snickers ad for me. Like, right. I find it utterly joyless. It's no dad boy, that's for sure. <laughs> um, no, no, but what yeah. is? And like, exactly. Uh, there is one thing, you know, I do want to note about this idea of, of memes as promotional tools. Uh, like, in preparation for this, for this podcast... You know, I went back and I I looked at Google and I asked all of our coworkers uh, what their favorite Drake memes were 
that had nothing to do with either Hotline Bling or the Views cover, which are like the two recent major ones. And, you know, what I found is just this avalanche of like long forgotten, dusty Drake content that had just, that had been completely wiped from my brain. Like, I think a good example is like, uh, Starbucks Drake hands, which I don't know if you'll remember what that is just from me saying it out loud. But like in 2013, this guy uh, attempted to woo a girl by uh, recording a video of himself listening to hold on, we're going home and like brushing his hands like across his face in this very off putting, but like also sensual way. And then, <laughs> uh, and Starbucks Drake hands became like a, a, hashtag and a trending topic and people wrote articles about it and celebrities recorded their own versions of of Starbucks Drake hands. And, you know, it was a thing like the record exists of it being a thing. And I had just completely forgotten that it had, you know, ever existed. And the same may be true one day of, of Drake dancing in hotline bling or of Drake sitting on the CN tower. Like all of this stuff is ultimately, you know, it could slip away at a moment's notice. So, (laughs) it just doesn't have you know and maybe that maybe that makes it the perfect uh bit of marketing material like you just see it once and it reminds me you do it reminds you to listen to drake and then you you know you never have to think about it again but it's just interesting to think that we have these you know vaults (laughs) somewhere on the internet these like vaults of discarded uh memes for every major public figure and we just keep throwing stuff on the pile and i don't know it really made me it made me think about like my mortality yeah i especially when uh you search those things i don't know if you've had this experience but you're like oh that thing and then you search it and then you see your byline Mm. that is that's a special level of bleak thankfully Uh, i haven't had that happen to me yet but i'm sure it's going to happen in like 2019 when drake is you know releasing like his eighth album to lukewarm reviews and i google like drake meek mill beef and I come across an explainer that I helped to write, and I then crumble. And you see into, how hyper detailed it is. Yeah, and then in like, this podcast, and I just like immediately crumble into dust, and like all of my bones like are just like ash, and they're carried away on the wind. Like, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I think that's a great place to end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you for uh, doing this today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me ramble on about one of my favorite people. I don't know. Sure, yeah, that's yeah. fair. One of my uh, favorite people. <laughs> um, thank you to our producer, Andrew Marino. Thank you to y'all for listening. Uh, thank you to uh, Final Fantasy for writing CN Tower is Burning, the best song ever written uh, about Toronto. Um, thank you. I, it's actually not Final Fantasy, is it? It's, it's you technically have to say just Owen. Owen. Now. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Those copyright uh, laws. Oh, is he sued out of that name? I think that was why he changed it, yeah. That would make sense. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and that's it. That's our show. Uh, until next time, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Ba-ba-da-ba-da-ba-ba.